Great song. Thank you, Jeff. And musicians, take your Bible this morning and go with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Next week we'll begin our series as we work up toward Easter. The last two Sundays we've pretty much just uh, been doing whatever we want to. So I want to be in chapter 5 today. And I want us to think for a few minutes about the benefits of being saved. The benefits of being saved. Now, to be saved in the Christian biblical meaning simply means to be forgiven of our sin by God. That's what it means to be saved. To have our sin forgiven, pardoned by God and to receive his gift of eternal life. Now, when we talk about being saved in general terms, we usually talk about it in terms of consequences, uh, final outcomes, meaning there is revealed to us in the Bible the reality of life beyond the physical life, meaning this isn't the end of our existence. We have an eternal soul. And uh, when this life is over, our soul lives on in one of two places. There are literal, eternal places, heaven and hell, the eternal lake of fire, uh, and in eternity with God. Now, those benefits, uh, just to be quite honest, are very important. In other words, the eternal destiny of your soul and of, of our souls is of utmost importance because once this life ends, um, there's no going back. There's no, there's no do-over in in golf, you can get a mulligan. I use them quite often. In life, there are no mulligans. There are no do-overs. When this life is over, it's over. When this life's over, the choices that were made were made, and they're, they're not repeatable. But I want us to understand this morning that being saved, uh, biblically, is not just going to heaven, which is pretty awesome, by the way, but there are benefits now. The moment we get saved, there are things to enjoy now in the Christian life. The Christian life is, is better than being lost, is what I'm saying. To be saved and to live and walk with God is better than walking in lostness and walking in darkness. And so what we find in our passage this morning, what I want us to be encouraged about, is there are benefits to being saved now and in this life. And I fear that many Christians don't avail themselves of those benefits and don't live in those benefits and live with the joy of those benefits. And so Paul reveals to us here in chapter 5 some of those benefits of being saved and what it means to walk with God in this life in a present reality, a present reality of what is eternally true in Jesus Christ. So look at the first five verses of Romans chapter 5 and let's see what Paul had to say here. He said, therefore, Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into his, to this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The very first word in verse 1, the word therefore, points us back to chapter 4. Therefore always means that a point's going to be made based on what was said. I might say, I ran up the hill, therefore I can't breathe. Okay? They're connected. If I run up the hill, 
then not being able to breathe would be a natural follow-on for me for sure. Paul says the same thing here. He says, therefore, <clears throat> these things are true in the first five verses of chapter 5. Well, let me just, without reading chapter 4 and taking the time to do that, let me just tell you what he said in chapter 4 and give you a summary very quickly. In chapter 4, Paul talked about being justified before God, justification. Now, justification is a legal term. It's a term that refers to our legal standing before God. And it's very simply, here's what it means. When a person is lost in their sin, they're guilty before God. They're guilty of having broken God's laws, and they stand in judgment from God. Every human being comes into the world that way. As soon as we reach an age where we understand right and wrong, we always choose wrong. Why? Because we have a sin nature. Okay? So we are, we are guilty before God. In chapter 4, however, Paul said we can be justified before God by faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, when we come to Jesus by faith and confess our sin and ask him to save us, we go from being guilty to being just, to being made right legally before God. And how does that happen? It happens because Jesus paid the penalty for our sin on the cross. Jesus paid the legal debt for our sin, which is death, so that we can be justified. Now, he said three things about being justified that are directly applicable to the benefits listed in the first five verses of chapter 5. Number one, he said to his readers, you can't be justified by religious ordinances. You can't be justified or made right before God with religious ordinances. Now, this would have been particularly true for the Jews because they believed if I'm born of Abraham, I'm in. If I'm in Israel, I'm in. If I'm Jewish, I'm in. If I'm Hebrew, I'm in. If I observe the ordinances of Judaism, man, I'm in the kingdom. Remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees. He said, man, all them publicans and prostitutes and harlots out there are going to be in the kingdom before you are. And that really ticked them off. And they didn't like that at all. Well, why did, why did Jesus say that? Because he said, you think you're in because you're wearing that getup. You think you're in because you're doing all the church stuff and you're doing all the religious stuff. Jesus said, that isn't how you get in. That's exactly what Paul said in chapter 4. It isn't by church ordinances. Now, we have church ordinances today that were given to us by Jesus. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. But they won't save you. Neither one of them will save you. I hear people say, well, I was baptized when I was little, so I'm good. No, you're not. Mm, no. No, baptism, whichever kind you got, sprinkled, watered, dunked, it, it won't save you, okay? Now, it, those ordinances are pictures of salvation. Many of the things that the Jews did in ordinances were pictures of their God's people, but it didn't save them, okay? Salvation's always been by faith. So first, Paul said, you can't get saved by your ordinances. Secondly, Paul said, you can't get justified or saved by the law, meaning if you keep the law and you become a Pharisee and you do all the things that you think you do and you think you do them perfectly, Paul said the law never was given to save anybody. That's not why it was given. It is not by the law that we're saved. It's by the law that we understand we need to be saved. Because when I read the law, what do I say to myself? I'm in trouble. When I read God's standards, what do I say to myself? I don't measure up. So the law was given so that we understand we're lost. Then Paul said the good news in chapter 4 is this. We're justified by faith in Jesus Christ plus nothing. We're justified by faith, faith alone. Paul said in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved, or by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. No one will ever be able to stand before Jesus one day and go, I'm here because, man, I worked hard. I'm here because I did it. I'm here because I did what you said. No, no, no. We can't do what God said because we're sinners. And so justification is purely and, and alone by 
faith alone. Can't be earned any other way. Now, after having said that in chapter 4, Paul said, therefore, being saved by faith, therefore, having been justified by faith and by faith alone, he begins to tell us of the benefits. And here they are. The first one is peace with God. Look at verse 1 in chapter 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's beautiful. That's wonderful. Because you understand this, when we were lost, we were at enmity with God. Lost men and women are, in essence, at war with God. Because what is, what is the essence of sin? It is rebellion against God. The essence of sin is rebellion and self-rule. And if there's one sin that's, that's prevalent in our society today is that people think they're in charge of themselves. They think they make their own choices for their lives. And they think they're their own God. No, that's sinful because God is God. And we belong to him. And we owe him our service and our allegiance. We owe him our, our commitment and our surrender. And so Paul said, look, one of the very first benefits that we have right now, present possession, is peace with God. When Jesus saves us, when we trust him as Lord and Savior and he forgives our sin, that which offends God is removed. And the righteousness of Christ is laid on our account. So when the Father sees us now, he sees us in his Son, Jesus Christ, and we have peace with God. In fact, that peace with God is even better. The Bible says that Jesus, uh, when he's our Savior, has become our advocate. What does an advocate do? They stand up for you. They're on your side. They, they, they take your side. They're on your side for your benefit. The Bible says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And unfortunately and sadly, I give him plenty of ammunition to accuse me. But when Satan accuses me before the Father, I got Jesus sitting at the right hand. And when he accuses me, Jesus said, no, no, no. No, I got that covered. No, I already paid for that. You see, here's what the Bible says. No accusation that Satan can put against us can stand. No judgment can stand. Why? Because the judge has declared us just, and we have peace with God the Father. Now listen, that'll change the way you walk in life. That'll change the way you see life, because you are right before God in Jesus Christ, and nothing can hinder that. Nothing can hinder that. Even when we fail, it doesn't break the peace that we have with the Father. It might break the fellowship. But we have peace because those sins are already paid for in Jesus Christ. Now, so the first one is we have peace with God. Do you live enjoying that peace today? Do you enjoy that peace that you have with God? You should because you have that relationship in Jesus Christ. Secondly, not only do we have peace with God, but we have access to God. Access to God. You see, lost men and women, when they are in their sin, according to verse 2, uh, don't have access to God. It's the opposite of what we have. Look at verse 2. Through whom we also have access by faith into grace, into this grace, which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. In Jesus Christ, we have access to God the Father 24-7. You can wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning and pray, and God's listening. You can, whatever, whatever goes on in your life, you have instant access to God the Father. Lost men and women don't have that. The only prayer God wants to hear from a lost person is a prayer of confession and salvation. You see, lost men and women are not in the family of God. God's not their heavenly father. 
And contrary to what the world said, God's not an old man with a beard sitting up there patting everybody on the head. No, he's the supreme God of all creation, holy and just beyond human comprehension. And you, as a child of God, if you're saved, have access to him anytime in Jesus Christ, his son. Let me illustrate it for you. In the Old Testament, they had the tabernacle. Uh, God gave Moses tabernacle. They crossed in the wilderness and said, build this tent. You know, you can read all that. In that tabernacle was a courtyard where they did the offerings and they had an altar out there. And then they had the, the it was where the priest hung out and then the, did their job. And then there was a holy of holies. And then there was the Ark of the Covenant, the Ten Commandments in there and the staff. You know all that. And then later, David wanted to build a temple, and God said, no, you can't build it. Solomon built the temple, and the temple had courtyards. It had a courtyard outside for the people to gather, and it had a, a, a courtyard for the priests where they did their offerings. And people didn't go in there and hang out where the priests worked because it was separated from them, and they would just bring their offerings. They would offer them in there and, and offer the sacrifices. And then there was the Holy of Holies. And by the time of Jesus in the New Testament, the, the, the temple that Herod had built had several porches that had a place outside for the Gentiles and had a big sign that said if any of the Gentiles went past this, they would be executed. And so the Gentiles were restricted from approaching God. And in the Holy of Holies, remember, was the Shekinah glory of God and represented the presence of God with his people. And so the people were, were removed from that Holy of Holies and they couldn't get in there. And so in the time of Jesus, there was the court of the Gentiles and there was the court of the Jews and the, at a court of the women, and the men could go, and then there was the court of the priests where they did their sacrifices, and then there was the Holy of Holies, and nobody could go in the Holy of Holies except one time a year, and it was the high priest who then offered an offering for the sin of the people. And in, and in between the, the court of the priests and the holy place and the Holy of Holies was a huge curtain, and it was thick, and nobody could go in there. Why? Why did God have this whole system of separation, layers of separation from him? Because men are sinful, and he's holy. And to approach him, you had to approach him with blood and with sacrifices. And nobody could just walk up there. In fact, you remember when Moses went up on the mountain, and God said, tell the people, my presence is over this mountain, and it's holy, and if they touch it, I'm going to kill them. They're going to die. Why? Because he's holy, and we're sinful. And sinful man can't be in the presence of a holy God. But what did Jesus do to fix that? Well, he died on the cross. You remember what happened when Jesus died on the cross? Let me read it to you. Matthew 27, verses 50 and 51. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Listen to this. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked and the rock split. You know what happened when Jesus died on the cross? The way was made to God the Father without restriction. The veil was torn in two. And no longer are we in the court of the Gentiles. No longer are we resisted to have to stand out in some court and have other people go before God for us. Jesus is now our great high priest. He's our advocate. We have access to God any time in Christ. Do you avail yourself of that benefit? Do you enjoy that benefit today of being saved and being able to have fellowship with the Father, God the Creator at any time? I don't know about you, but uh, I have a, a, a designed prayer time in my life in the mornings when I pray. But all throughout the day, I move to prayer and, and fellowship and conversation with God. Are you not? When you drive down the road, are you not praying sometimes? Do you think about things? 
I pray a lot on Blanding, but that's for a different reason. But do you not, do you not avail yourself of the, of the, of the presence of God and, and the instant access to God when you pray? You pray for people. You pray for lost people. You pray for sick people. You pray for those who are hurting. You pray for your enemies. Why? Because we have instant access to God. So one of the tremendous benefits Paul tells us right here is that we have access to God the Father all the time. I don't know, I, I don't know how you see that, but I want you to see it different this morning if you don't see it as the benefit that it is. One of my children is sick or someone's hurt or some emergency. I want to be able to pray right now. I want to be able to ask God to intervene right now with no, inter with no hindrances. I don't want to have to deal with a bunch of sin and say, well, God, I know I hadn't been living like I should and I hadn't been walking with you, but I really need you now. No, I want to have that fellowship all the time. And I want to have that conversation with him all the time so that my conversation with him is normal and it's natural and it's not something new. And we have that in Jesus Christ. We have it all the time. I pray that you understand that benefit and that you use it. So, we have peace with God. We have access to God all the time. And then the third benefit here, he tells us, is that we have a blessing of hope. Now, hope isn't, hope in the biblical sense isn't like playing the lottery, I hope I win. No, hope, hope in the biblical sense is an assurance. It's a fixed promise of God. Look at what he said in verses 3 and 5 there in Romans 5. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now, hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. There's a process of hope walks through. How do we get to this point where our faith and our walk with God is not this hope-so kind of hope we find in the world? You see, because I can tell you, if you talk to me about my faith, it's rock solid. Man, I, I know what I know about God. I know the testimony of the Holy Spirit in my heart, and you're not going to change it. I don't care what you say, and I don't care what happens. It's not changing. Now, I'm not saying I won't get disappointed in life. I won't get hurt in life, and I won't suffer all the same things everybody else in life suffers. But I'm going to tell you this. Jesus is real, and God the Father is real, and the Holy Spirit's real, and what he did on the cross is real, and that's a fact, Jack. He ain't changing it. So there you go. Now, how does, that, how does that work out in life? How does that benefit work out in life? Well, he walks us through it right here. Notice them very quickly. Number one, it starts with tribulation. You say, well, man, I don't like this process of hope. Well, not many of us do, but I want you to watch how this works, okay? Because here's how it works. Number one, uh, thlipsis is the word. It means pressure. It means to be under pressure. You ever been under pressure? Now, I don't mean just in life, but I mean, I mean Christian pressure. This is true in the world, and it's getting more true every day. If you live for Jesus, the world's going to pressure you. If you live for Jesus, the world's going to reject you. It's going to exile you. It's going to exclude you. It's not going to include you. If the world sees you living for Jesus, it's going to put pressure on you. And what do we do in pressure? Man, we stand under it, and we don't cave, and we take it. And we keep moving forward. But pressure or tribulation begins to build perseverance. Hupomone. It means to stand strong. It means to be unflappable. It means to say, look, I know the pressure's coming. And I know the world doesn't 
like me being a Christian, and I know the world doesn't like the gospel, and it doesn't like what I stand for, and it doesn't like my perspective on things because my worldview is a biblical worldview. And a biblical world is being hated more and more by a secular humanistic world. But we get under pressure living for Jesus, and man, we stand strong. We stand strong. We don't bend. Uh, it was said of Beethoven. And I don't know much about these musicians. Sherry does. But I know some of these famous musicians had hearing problems. I think Beethoven was one of them. What a catastrophe if you're a musician to have hearing problems, right? I mean, it could be the worst possible thing that can happen in your life. But you know what Beethoven said? I read a quote. He said, I will take life by the throat. Now, I don't know what that means if you can't hear, but it just meant I'm a musician, and even if I can't hear, I'm still going to do music. Well, you know what? That's the attitude of a Christian. The world might not like me, and it might put pressure on me, but I'll just take it by the throat. I'll just keep on, I'll just keep on doing it, all right? I'm just going to keep on. And listen, Paul's saying when we have this kind of pressure and we have this kind of determination, this hubamone, that I'm not quitting and I'm not giving up, you know what it does? Thirdly, he said it builds character, dokami, character. Now, you know what that word dokami means? It means metal that's been tested. It means metal that's been in the fire and the dross is out of it and all the impurities out of it. Do you see what Paul's getting at here? In the Christian life, in our, in, our, in our relationship with Jesus Christ, our hope is built on walking with him every day. It's an exercise. It's a process. We feel the pressure, but we don't cave because we know the truth. And when we feel the pressure and we trust God, the Holy Spirit, and we don't cave and we don't quit, and by God's power we keep walking forward, it builds character. It builds a stamina. It's like metal that's been in the fire, and it's hardened. It's been tested. When I was in Japan, I lived there for a while, and one of the things I was fascinated with was the, the, the art of sword making and weapons that they made in Japan. And near where I stayed, there was a, a place called Kentai Castle uh, in Iwakuni, and when Japan in history was under shoguns, the way that thing worked, if you don't know how it was, the prince lived in Kyoto, Tokyo, and then all the shoguns ruled over different regions of Japan. And, you know, it's like a regional system, and they all swore their allegiance to the emperor, who was supposed to be a deity. And these shoguns had, their, uh, had all their soldiers and their armies, and the Kentai Castle near Iwakuni was the castle of the shogun of that region. And it's a museum now. And the thing is magnificent. I, could, I, could, I won't take the time to tell you all the cool things about it, but I went up to it, and, and it's on a steep hill. So I could only imagine back in that day, if you were going to attack that castle, you'd be insane because you'd have to fight uphill considerably, plus the path was narrow, and you could only get so many men on the path at a time. No way you're taking that castle, which is probably why they built it up there. So you take this trolley car, you go up there, and it's a museum. And I read a thing about how they made swords, and their swords were, like, super sharp, razor sharp, um, and they have, they have the real weapons in cases where you can, you can tour them and read about them. I'm told in metalsmith, metallurgy, if you take this steel and you heat it and you bend it and you pound it together and you heat it again, you bend it, you pound it together, and you keep heating it, you get the dross out of it. You get all the impurities out of it. And the more impurities you get out of it, the harder it gets, the more durable it gets, and the more it can be sharpened. And sometimes they would fold this metal seven times, nine times, 15 times, and pound it and heat it and pound it and heat it, and it would make these magnificent 
samurai-looking swords. They look scary just laying in there, right? And they would make these swords that would just be impervious to being broken or dulled. That's the picture that Paul's drawing here. He said, man, if you go through pressure and then you stand up to it, it builds character. And it builds the kind of character that is hardened and can't be moved. How do you come to a point in life when you say, I don't care what you do to me, even to the point of death, I'm not bending. How do you get to that point? You don't do it. You don't just wake up one day and do it. You do it because you've been, you've been strengthened over time and you have character built in your life. And then the last thing Paul said was this. If we've been under pressure and we stood it, hupomone, and, we, and we've, been, we've been created in this character of, of, of purity and standing for God, then notice what it creates. It creates hope, assurance, a trust. That means that our, our focus and our hope and our trust in God's promises is unshakable. It means we stand on the rock, Jesus Christ, and we refuse to be moved. You don't get to that point by sitting around and playing in the world. You don't get to that point by not trusting God and walking through the fire with him and walking through those times. And I'll tell you another thing, you don't get to that point of that kind of rock-solid hope without living for Jesus Christ. Because a Christian can take the easy road, and they can stay home, and they cannot serve in the church, and they cannot share the gospel, and they cannot be involved in ministries, and they can do whatever they want to and look at me and say, well, I'm saved because I've trusted Jesus. Yes, you are, because salvation is by grace plus nothing. But when the tough times come and the difficulties come, you're going to be unprepared. And your character and your Christian character and your faith and all those things that are going to be so essential to stand when the fire comes, you're going to be terribly lacking because you haven't walked with Jesus. And Paul said these benefits are ours now. We can have them if we engage them and we do it and we trust God. I just fear there are too many Christians today who are not availing themselves of the benefits of being saved and not walking with God. And I'll just go on record and say it right now. It'll be online and you can email me if you don't like it. The COVID thing's over. Wear your mask, whatever you want to do, but you ought to be in church. And you ought to be with the body of Christians, and you ought to be serving somewhere. And you've gotten out of the habit of going to church, and gotten out of habit, you ought to get back into the habit, and you ought to serve God. You say, well, I don't want to come there no more. Fine, go somewhere else. But I know many of you are sitting at home, and you're not going anywhere. So go somewhere. Find a church and get plugged in, because you need this stuff. You need to grow, and you need to grow, and your hope and your insurance of God needs to grow. You need to do it by serving and walking with him. Let me show you two other things really quick. Having spoken of God's love here, Paul couldn't help himself but to speak of the character of God's love. Look at verses 6 to 8. He said, For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But look at verse 8. But God demonstrated, commended in the King James, his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. At the right time, he said, for when we were still without strength, in due time, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. It was all part of God's plan. Jesus came at exactly the time determined by God to do for us what needed to be done. Remember, we can't be saved by any works. We can't save ourselves. We were hopelessly lost. And without Jesus Christ, none of us could be saved. 
And so at exactly the right time, he came, Galatians 4, 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. It was a specific time, and Paul said, when, he, when the time came, God fully demonstrated his love to us, a love when we were without strength. When we couldn't help ourselves, God loved us and he helped us. How? He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, to pay for our sin. There was no other way. In fact, God came to us when we were completely unworthy. He came to us in that while we were yet sinners. Let me tell you how that looks. When we were the enemy of God, Jesus died for us anyway. When we were the most offensive to God, he died for us anyway. When we stood in our sin and we were guilty of, of our sin, putting Jesus on the cross, he died for us anyway. That's love. That's the character of God's love. Without merit to us when we were without strength. And then notice finally, in verses 9 to 11, this is a tremendous benefit here, and you have it right now. Notice what he says. Much more than, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. The benefit that we enjoy now, the last one we'll talk about is this. In Jesus Christ, we have been fully reconciled to God. Nothing else stands between us and him. Fully reconciled. And in this passage, here's a great benefit. We have been saved from wrath through him. Do you see that? Saved from wrath through him. Now, what is Paul saying there? Lost men and women not only are at enmity with God, but they are under the wrath of God. God has pronounced judgment against their sin. Those who die without Jesus Christ will face God's wrath for their sin and spend eternity in the lake of fire to pay for their sin. Those who are saved, the wrath of God has been satisfied. How? Because God poured out his wrath on his son when Jesus hung on the cross. And so the wrath against our sin has been fully paid for. Now, what kind of wrath are we delivered from? Well, the first one is hell. If you're saved, you have no danger of ever being separated from God in the lake of fire. That'll never happen to you. You've been saved from the wrath to come. Now, I said this earlier. That's generally the, the, the terms in which we speak of salvation. We speak of it in consequential terms after this life. And that's okay. Because ultimately, that's what's going to happen. But the fact is to be saved by faith in Jesus Christ and saved from eternity in the lake of fire, listen to me, is a good thing. That's a good thing. Now, someone will say, well, you know, some people trust Jesus as a fire escape. Okay. I, okay. If you understand what's going to happen and, and you want to be saved and you believe Jesus died on the cross for you, it can start that way. I don't want to go to hell, so I want to get saved. Good. Get saved. But I assure you, once you know Jesus, it'll be much more than that, okay? It'll be much more than that. But if that's where you start, I'm okay with that. I don't think it's a good idea to go to hell. How about you? I mean, that's, you know, heaven, hell. I picked this one, okay? I mean, if you know, if you just, if you're from a purely selfish perspective, I picked this one. But let me tell you another thing that it means. There's coming a time... It's called the day of wrath, the day of judgment. 
When the church is raptured, God is going to pour out his wrath for seven years on this world. And he's going to judge the wickedness in this world. I believe the Bible teaches that the church will not go through that period of, of wrath. In other words, I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. I'm a premillennialist, pre-tribulation. You go, I don't know what any of that means. That's okay. Let me just tell you this. There are some people who believe the church will go into the tribulation, that the rapture will come either in the middle of the tribulation or at the end of the tribulation. I don't believe that. You see, listen, when Jesus saved us, he put us in the body, in his body, the body of Christ in his church. The church is no longer under his wrath. It says so right here. We are, we are delivered from the wrath of God. To go into the tribulation would be to be under the wrath of God, to suffer his judgment, to suffer wrath. There's no purpose for that. Now, I had somebody say to me one time, Pastor, the church has to be purified. It's got to go into the tribulation and be purified. Mm. The, church is, the church cannot get any more pure than being in Jesus, number one. That's about as pure as you're going to get because that's absolute purity. And number two, the church in its conduct is not going to be purified because of the tribulation. Plus, there are multitudes of Christians who are in the church age, who are in the church, who have died and are already in heaven. The tribulation ain't going to do anything for them. So there's nowhere in the Bible that I see we're going to go through the tribulation. Here's what I'm saying. To be saved, a present possession right now, is to be delivered from the wrath of God. That's a good thing because we're going to get raptured. Jesus is coming. He's going to take us home. Let me close with this. What are the benefits of being saved? I'm going to give you like seven of them real quick. You ready? We talked about them, but you might not have got them and all that talking. So let me give them to you. Okay. Number one, you're going to heaven. Put that into the top. That's a biggie. Okay. You're going to spend forever with God. Man, I like that. I, I, listen, can you, can you just for one second think about what it's going to be like when you see the face of Jesus for the first time? That's some awesome stuff, isn't it? You can see the face of Jesus. Number two, number two, we are justified before God right now. Not future, not going to be. We are justified. We are legally right with God because of Jesus Christ. Number three, we have peace with God. That's important. Lost people don't have peace with God. God's against them. They're against God. We have peace with our creator. That's important. We can enjoy that right now. Number four, we have access to God. That's a wonderful one. We have access to God. We can pray. We can ask him for things. We can tell him how we feel. Listen, I don't, I don't, I, listen, I don't make any, any bones about this. When I'm, when I'm mad or upset, I tell God. I don't do it in a disrespectful way. I say, God, you know my heart. I'm, I'm not happy right now. God, you know my heart, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm frustrated right now, or I'm eager right now. I like being able to tell God that. I like being able to get it off my chest. And I think Jesus is in heaven going, now, do you feel better? Yes, yes, Lord, I do. I feel a whole lot better now that I got to tell you how I feel. So we have access to God all the time. We have, number, number five, we have a, a precious hope. Every promise of the book is ours. And it's not a hope so. It's a, it's a courageous trust in Jesus Christ. Okay, number six, we have the love and favor of God. We have the love. We have the love of the character of God's love is without bounds. And we have that on us. God loves us. 
and we are finally saved from wrath to come. Now listen, if you can't enjoy those seven things right now in life, you need to check your salvation because those are promised to us. They're ours. As I close, do you, do you rest in these things? Are they true in your life? If you're watching online, have you trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Eternity, eternity hangs in the balance. Where your soul will spend forever hangs in the balance of what you do with Jesus. You say, well, you know, uh, how can I be saved? Well, you've got to trust God. You have to confess your sin and, and ask Jesus to save you. You have to ask him. It doesn't happen automatically. Just because you attended church all your life doesn't mean you're saved. Just because you've been whatever doesn't mean you're saved. No, you have to come to Jesus personally. Personally. You have to ask him. Confess your sin. Ask him to save you. Have you done that? I invite you to do that this morning. Online, here in this room, have you done that? Can you see a time in your life when you trusted Jesus Christ to save you? The answer is yes or no. There's no maybe, well, I think I'm saved, I'm almost saved. No, you're either saved or you're not. And these promises are either yours or they're not. So I invite you today, trust Jesus Christ this morning. Let's pray. God, thank you for these blessings. God, for the, for the blessings in our lives, God, for these things that are true for those who are saved. God, thank you that you loved us the way you loved us, God, to justify us in your son, Jesus Christ, and make us right. God, in Jesus Christ, and make us fit for heaven to spend eternity with you. Lord, if there's somebody here this morning under the hearing of your word, God, maybe somebody watching online or watching this video later, and they know in their heart of hearts that they're not saved. They know in their heart of hearts, God, they need to be saved right now. Holy Spirit, I pray you would draw them in a powerful way. And God, might they just take the, the time right now in this moment to say, God, I know I'm lost and I know I've, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. God, forgive me and save me right now. God, make me different. I want what you have described in your word, God. I want these benefits. God, I want fellowship with you. I want to be able to talk to you anytime. God, I want access to you. Forgive my sins. Save me today. In Jesus' name, amen. A stand as we sing. If I can pray with you, if you need help, if you pray to receive Christ today, you come on the first verse. This is my desire. you back tonight at uh, 6. We're in our study on Joseph, and uh, last week we saw him uh, get out of jail. Pharaoh had some dreams. Tonight he's going to interpret the dreams and make some recommendations. Uh, come be a part of us as we are in that study tonight. Let's pray. God, give us 
a safe afternoon, Lord. I pray we could come back together around your word this evening. Uh, God, you teach us. God, help us to grow and build those things in our lives, Lord, as we walk with you. Bless your people today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.